So I've been working on my authorization service and it's totally sweet. It's only taken me six months to build it, just six months. I started implementing some basic RBAC library, but that wasn't enough, obviously. So I designed relationship-based fine-grained authorization for the highest security possible. And then to make it super fast, I used a GPU tower running in my mom's basement, of course, connected via optic cable to bare metal server at my local esports lounge, permissions, restrictions, and admin. Nailed it. Wait, 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 wait. Whatever you did sounds cool, but like there's also another option. Oh, really? Yeah, with permit.io. Permit is the full-stack authorization platform created so you never have to build permissions again. Build and manage permissions for any application with policy as code, APIs, developer-friendly SDKs, and user-facing UIs. Permit is an end-to-end authorization platform built on top of open-source policy engines. It's high-performing, gets decisions in less than 10 milliseconds, and uses a hybrid approach where config is in the cloud, but data and decisions are made locally. Not only is it intuitive, it lets you implement fully functional authorization in five minutes, not six months, and in the code base you prefer. Check out the link in the show notes or go to permit.io to learn more. That's P-E-R-M-I-T dot I-O. Sign up for Permit and stop rebuilding off. So one of the missions that we have is really bringing this high tech to this industry to make it so intuitive and so effortless for people to just go in, find exactly what they want and then buy it and then start using the health insurance in a preventative manner. We bit off a little bit more than we can chew, right? Just because building a fully integrated system with all EHRs across the country and working with every doctor required that we have a contract with every provider that we wanted to go after. So we decided to scrap it and focus on what are the core items that you use on a daily basis associated to your health. My name is Ariel Dominguez. My name is Irina Tigranian. And we are the leaders of HealthBird. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing at the back end who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mark. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really want it's it. It's not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart. And today, how Ariel Dominguez and Arena Tigranian are creating your go to platform for everything health insurance. This episode is sponsored by Kiteworks. Legacy-managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the analytics for humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. 
Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Ariel Dominguez has been an entrepreneur for most of his life. He started his first company at age 15, selling websites in Miami, hiring family members before he could drive. He continued his career later in finance, then consumer product goods, then healthcare insurance. He loves to build things and has started 13 to 15 businesses in his lifetime. But outside of tech, he's an avid drummer and has been playing since he was 10 years old. Irina Tigranian was born in Armenia and moved to the U.S. in 2014. She never dreamed of being a founder because in the world she was raised in, you always work for someone else. She has diverse professional experience in retail and operations, but outside of work, she likes to explore kayaking, tennis, and being outdoors. Fun fact, Ariel and Irina are married, i.e. partners in life and in business. They met on Bumble, live in Miami, and invested their wedding money to found a company. Ariel and Irina wanted to build the Expedia for Healthcare to make it simple and abstract away all the loopholes and jargon. They wanted to innovate in a non-innovative space and to bring the swipe right or left mentality to healthcare insurance. This is the creation story of Healthbird. I was CEO of this giant call center working in the world of health insurance, distributing lots of insurance products across multiple states. We had hundreds of agents across multiple different uh, areas. It's a really crap experience for the customer, unfortunately, right? The customer has to pick up the phone, talk to an agent, spend hours on the line to figure out what type of health insurance is going to be suitable for their particular affordability, for their needs, for their medications, for their hospital coverage, everything they need. There is no incentive for that broker on the other line to really sell you the plan that you really want. Pretty much, I get to pick up a phone call and I get to tell a customer, yeah, trust me, you're going to get this United Healthcare plan or this Aetna plan or whatever plan they try to sell you. And reality is the broker is trying to push a product on you that they are getting the highest commission for or a bonus for or some type of additional incentive. The end result is that the customer gets either a product that they don't use because it doesn't really match any of the things they're trying to actually get coverage for or that they got a plan that ultimately is so high, high deductible, high out-of-pocket costs that you're basically not utilizing it because you're afraid of all the co-pays and all the additional costs. So what ends up happening is you end up actually rejecting that and canceling that plan middle of the year. And then you're out of coverage because you can't re-enroll in a new coverage unless you have a special enrollment criteria. You basically end up losing coverage for the rest of the year. And then now you're stuck to this self-pay system. And then you're just massively hating the entirety of the U.S. healthcare system at that point. And what I wanted to do is uh, I wanted to build a customer-obsessed focused company. The same way that Amazon was customer-obsessed from the day one of their inception, we wanted to build that with HealthBird. So what we wanted to do is first, how do you make enrolling in a plan and finding that right plan? Super simple. Second, how do we actually make the customer get not only the right plan, but one to use that plan to get the most benefit off of what they just purchased. And the third piece is how to make sure that when it's time to renew that plan or get a new plan, depending on how how your life has changed, your income has changed, your family's changed, make that as painless as possible without having to pick up the phone, make long calls that don't really generate a lot of value for you in your day. 
And how do we make that feel like if you're buying an Apple product, Apple's ecosystem that everything you put on your AirPods and everything just syncs together, everything works. That's what we wanted to do for the world of health insurance. Customers, when they have bad experiences, they think of the overall industry, right? When you think about going to a dealership to purchase a car, you immediately, this is going to be multiple hour project and this is not something I want to spend my Saturday with. So what we're fighting with right now is that perception of health insurance because individuals, when they need to enroll for plans on their own, most of the time they don't know where to go and also they're so confused. So they have this negative perception of of health insurance industry. So one of the missions that we have is really bringing this high tech to this industry to make it so intuitive and so effortless for people to just go in, find exactly what they want, and then buy it and then start using the health insurance in a preventative manner. Because as we're growing older, our health is so important. And no matter what you do, you have so much stress in your life, especially if you live in big cities. So what areas myself, the team at HealthBird, what we're trying to accomplish is to bring back the time that individuals would be to spend on searching or stressing out what health insurance do they need, whether their doctor takes the insurance or not, to bring back that time, just expand it however you like it, because we have the technology to solve your problem. Let's dive into the MVP. So that first version of the product you built, how long did it take to build and what sort of tools were used to bring it to life? The MVP, we actually decided when we just registered the company, we're like, you know what? We're not going to call it MVP. We're going to call it MLP, the minimum lovable product. So <laughs> I think we're still going over so many iterations based on the customer feedback that we're receiving. But the first prototype, Ariel, how long did it take for us to build? Roughly seven months between design, inception and launch readiness. So yeah, it was about seven months. We started in our apartment. We started with uh, weekly meetings with early members of HealthBird, early employees of HealthBird. It was just like starting as a conversation. What are the, the features that people need to use when they think about health insurance? It looked pretty different today. So for any of the business owners out there, uh, whenever you have an MVP, most likely it's not going to be the final product when you release it. But it's always great to add all the features that you think at some point, you will be able to release. When you're building an MVP, when you're building any early version or MLP, as you mentioned, any early version of a product, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs. It sounds like you went through the exercise to figure out what sort of features you wanted and maybe what the dream was. But w- tell me about some of the hard decisions and trade-offs you had to make in those in that early version. You know, maybe it's around technical debt or feature cut or you know approach or anything like that. And I'm I'm curious about how you coped with those decisions. One of the issues that we had was actually finding and, and talking to the doctors, right? So one of the early features that we always thought about is like, how do we integrate all your lab testing, all the other stuff that really makes your healthcare run, right? So when you get health insurance and you want to use it, you go to your doctor, you go to your primary care or a specialist, you get a referral to go to an XYZ doctor, and then you get some tests done, and then you get the test results. The, the way it works is it's all attached to an EHR, an electronic health record, and those EHR systems like Epic, CareCloud, etc., all of them are disparate systems. They don't really talk to each other. They don't talk to any of the other apps. 
your health insurance app. Let's say you buy Cigna, it doesn't talk to any of those tools, only on a claims version. So it's everything's a little bit lost from a consumer perspective. So one of the biggest things that we, we wanted to do from the get-go was to like, how do we integrate all those components of your health into one singular ecosystem? But we bit off a little bit more than we can chew, right? Just because building a fully integrated system with all EHRs across the country and working with every doctor required that we have a contract with every provider that we wanted to go after. So we decided to scrap it and focus on what are the core, what are the core items that you use on a daily basis associated to your health. That's your health insurance ID card. That's information related to your plans and your billing. All those little tiny components, right? We wanted to make sure that we simplified those first and focused on those before we went and then build this other kind of massive next phase to the platform, which would be that all-encompassing app that you use for everything related to your healthcare management. So that was one of the compromises we had to make early on on the vision of the company. But we also made other like compromises, like basically getting rid of certain features like Rx at the beginning, right? We basically said, look, we'll launch without the Rx feature right away, but then we'll do Rx down the road as the next piece of the puzzle that we're going to try to solve. So we had to make a lot of that for that first MVP or MLP, as we call it. And then really had to build very quickly and, and iterate upon that to make it functional to the level that we were trying to uh, really get customers to come back on a daily basis and use not only the insurance that they bought, but use our app to manage that insurance they bought. And we suffered a ton of technical debt. We had to restructure databases. We had to uh, put together an entirely new uh, CRM from the ground up. We built our own CRM from the ground up because we didn't have the budget to go and get like a Salesforce, right? It was too expensive for all the licensing fees we would have to pay for that. So we built everything in-house. And so that that took us a lot longer with a lot more work and a lot more money sunk into the actual tech build. But we learned a lot from that. And now that that kind of hump is over, we now have one of the most robust CRMs in the entire health insurance industry. So much so that we have brokers knocking at our door to license our CRM for from us because it does everything that they've always wanted to do and more. So th- those are the trade-offs that we had originally, but now they've become really big pluses for the company. It's spun up into its own different, different solution. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. 
KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. Let's move forward then. So you've got the MVP, it's working, you've worked through the trade-offs, and now you know, you're know you at a point where you're gaining some value. You mentioned the CRM, the working MVP with the features that you needed. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? I think to wrap that question in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with HealthBird. One of the important things when we're building a company such as HealthBird that is not only a health insurance tool to help to find the right insurance, but also to help you utilize your insurance, it has multiple components. When first we had the idea, we're like, okay, first we're going to help people find the perfect insurance plan for them, and then we're going to provide this app, and we're going to do it everything at the same time. But after eliminating a couple of features and really building the actual MVP, not the MLP, we realized that we first need to focus on one thing, which is getting the enrollment piece of health insurance right. That way, when customers come in, that first interaction with our platform on the web is very easy and they have this type of preview what their health insurance experience could be. So we decided to focus all of our efforts from the marketing to engineering team to focus on that first enrollment piece, which means you go in, you enter your zip code and you see what are the plans that you qualify for. How much would it cost you? What are the doctors that you would uh, be able to go see, the in-network, out-of-network and everything? So once you enroll, that is the first step for you to have that uh, discovery with HealthBird, your discovery interaction with HealthBird. And once we got that successfully done after, I think, 19 iterations of our platform, we decided to move to the app. That's when we started to really develop and release all the features that we've discussed previously. I think focusing on one segment of the product is crucial for any company. That way they can truly develop it to the stage where it's not only going to be a good looking product, it's going to be a well-functioning product, but also your customers will be coming back to you, which is extremely important for any D2C businesses. One of the biggest struggles I think that a lot of companies tend to do, especially early startups, you tend to want to do take on the world and more, right? You want to do everything possible to make your product like the standout shining beacon of hope, right? But the problem is that you don't you only have 24 hours in a day and you can't really force everyone to work at the same pace that you have, right? Not everyone has the same buy-in as the founders. You have to set expectations narrowing your focus on what you can actually achieve within budgets, time, and really the goals of the company. Early on, 
we tried to do a lot with the product and then we had to really condense it down to what is the core business. As Irina was mentioning, the core business is helping you enroll, finding that health insurance plan for you. So we focused 100% on that, dialing that in, making that the best possible experience, taking all the customer feedback, uh, focus group feedback, even just family and friends feedback that we had to basically build uh, multiple iterations of that particular part of the product. Once we felt that was dialed in, then as Irina mentioned, we took on the app and then we took on all the other stuff. Then we started dialing in all the database pieces that I was talking about with the CRM, building a more comprehensive solution to automate the back office administration for the customer service. We even built an AI chatbot with our own LLM that has all the information around health bird and health insurance and healthcare.gov that helps you basically answer any major question that our customer service team can do on the phone or via chat. Now you can do this with a real-time chatbot that does it in a more effort, effortless and you know seamless manner. We started rebuilding and reorganizing how the teams was set up as well. We instead of having everybody work on everything at the same time, we started building product team. You are the mobile team, you are the CRM team, you are the web PHP team. Building those segmentations really helped start building not only a more comprehensive product for each of those divisions, but build better results for the customer because now things weren't crashing as often, the bugs weren't as visible, there were less complaints from customer's end and a really higher output of like good feedback, right? Then, oh, I love this feature. How can this feature be more robust by doing this? Giving us not only positive feedback, but also giving us ideas for future iterations of that product because we started segmenting our business a little bit more around that. So I think that's been really the key to our last full year of business has really been segmenting that and building the product into groups and then really developing those groups internally with a better product as well as the end result for each of those groups. You know, I hear you saying we, and I, I know you two are a unit in, in life and in business, but I'm curious about your team outside of you two. How did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? We were able to build in a, a winning team and we haven't had any changes since really early on in our operations. Like we've almost everybody that's been with us has been with us since the beginning of the company to date. So the biggest issue that we face with finding a team is finding a team that would believe in us, but would do it at a lower cost because we didn't have obviously the money to pay a lot of the big salaries that they were already making. What I did is first I found people that I could trust. I obviously trust my wife and my co-founder, Irina, with my eyes closed. So I wanted somebody who can do that for every part of the, the business that we wouldn't touch. That would be like compliance. Who can we bring on to help us with the experience of compliance? But somebody we can give the reins of that particular division and say, hey, help us, guide us and steer us in the right direction with us without us having to really micromanage and handhold. And so we started trying to find who those people were. And they started coming to us to an extent, like once we started talking out there with people that I knew from my previous companies or just people that I had brought with me for over, over a long period of time, I, I told them about what we were building, the idea, and, and they just gravitated towards naturally. They said, look, I would want to be a part of this. I don't care how much I get paid. I don't care what happens, right? If it fails or succeeds, I just want to be a part of the journey. We found that there was a lot of people that we could trust 
that were specifically good at what they were doing and with the right push from our end and the right passing of the mantle in a way to them for that particular pro project or, or area, they could be an extreme success in that role. Some of them were transitioning their careers. Some of them were bored and tired. And our CFO, I'll give an example, she had just finalized a sale of a $450 million company, which she was the CFO of, and she was looking for the next thing in her life. She was going through a restructuring of her own personal life, financial life, and she was trying to find the next project too that would be exciting, fun, but wouldn't be just the same old corporate dynamics that she was used to. Same thing with our principal agent, Armand Tigran. He was passionate about building things, but he was a chemist. He was a laboratory chemist. He had nothing to do with the world of insurance. And he worked a small amount at my previous company, Ola Doctor, learning how to become an agent. And he said, look, Ariel, I can be a much better principal agent because I'm a big problem solver. I have a ability to adapt very quickly. He gave me this pitch of like why he would be the perfect person to help me on the agency side and took a leap of faith on my end there and hired him. And Irina also brought in other people from her experience that she had had experience with at Tesla or Lucid. And we just got lucky in a combination of very interesting individuals with the personality to take risks, but at the same time, the personality that understands there's a lot to do. There's many hats that have to be worn and they're not going to stop until the project's done. And that's, I think, really been the, the cultural driving uh, structure of the business. And everyone here embodies that and, and just pursues that. And we have we don't have a single employee that like, cares about the hours of work or kind of complains or says, oh, we've got too much work. We have none of those problems today. We All of our problems really are just there's not enough hours in the day to really get all the stuff done that we envision to get done. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5 terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. Hello, welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry, goodbye. Don't be left out of the Analytics Club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. 
Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Let's talk about scalability. And this will be interesting because it can be from technology standpoint. It can also be from a people standpoint. How did you approach scalability? Was it built to scale from day one or with scale in mind? Or have you been fighting this in any sort of areas as you grow and gain traction? I think when we had the first idea of HealthBird, it was more of, hey, here's the problem. And here's something that we can offer to the industry. We were more oriented into bringing the solution. However, at the time, we weren't really thinking that we can grow so big so fast. We, of course, have the the pains, the growing pains that, that we're doing. You can't really, when you're starting a business, you can't necessarily plan for scalability because first you need to prove that your product has a market fit. And it took us a long time to to build that. We knew that the, the product is very necessary for the industry. However, how to properly form the product? Is it an app? Is it a desktop? What are the color schemes? What are the wordings? What is the copy? How to use All of that consumes your day-to-day and your month-to-month, and you don't necessarily think about, oh, I'm going to be the next big thing, but you think of what is it today that is required for you to do so in a month you have a positive change that impacts your product. And from people's standpoint, I think we were we were looking to bring in individuals as we were meeting them, not necessarily as we have, here's our hiring roadmap, these are the positions that we need, but we would meet individuals that would be just genuinely excited. They might not have the 100% qualifications of the role, they believed in the product and they truly had the this excitement of, okay, I'm, I'm in for you. Uh, I know it's going to be tough, so I would be happy to join. And I think once we would meet to, with those individuals, we would just be like, okay, let's find a position that you can help today. And let's think about what is it next year, two years, three years down the road that you want to do. So for us, the scalability from the people standpoint was more of really meeting the right individuals and then fitting them into positions that were needed at the time. There's no easy answer for scalability. When you're building a startup, you don't want to focus on whether or not my product's scalable when you don't really even have a product yet. In my opinion, I think the way you build scalability is you build a product that's compelling enough to a small group of people or a somewhat uh, large group of people, and then you work your way up from there. The best example that I can can give you is that we didn't think we were going to be an international company anytime soon. And now we're operating in Ecuador, Colombia, and Peru, and we're launching our travel insurance, health and life insurance products in those markets. And the reason why it's because other people came to us that had experience in those markets and said, hey, I would love to invest and help you build your Latin American product with what you currently have in the U.S. Just tropicalize it for the Latin American part of the, uh, of the market. And I think scalability for, uh, for startups like us really happens organically. It's you scale up as you grow and, and organically in a way you just start building momentum and the business grows from that momentum. It either grows where you can't manage it anymore and you have to figure out how to scale up your team, scale up all your services, etc. 
or you work on a paced growth, which is how we've been doing it. We spent majority of this year working on scaling up all of the infrastructure that we had laid out for early last year in order to really be able to operate and add tens of thousands of members over the next few months and be able to manage that with the right amount of employees, with the right amount of server space, technology infrastructure, compliance, all the different components that come into building a company like ours that's both tech and human driven. That's really, I think, the best answer I can give you and best advice I can give anybody listening to this podcast. Don't worry about scalability from the moment you're building the company. Build the product, build it with a consumer in mind, test that product, test your theory, test your hypothesis. And then once you have some nice data under your belt, then start reiterating and iterating until you can have a product that can scale beyond the current TAM that you have or the current market base that you have. As you step outside on the balcony, you look across all that you've built. What are you most proud of? What I'm most proud of is our team, honestly. I'm, I'm most proud of the people that work at HealthBird. I took a massive leap of faith by taking this company and, and building it and, and doing it. I quit a very cushy corporate job where I had all my expenses and everything taken care of, making a, a very large sum of money for a person in my age. And I jumped out of that comfort zone and tried to go all in and figure out how to make this work. And what I was most surprised by is that the people that work here are the reason why I get up most of my days from bed and want to come here. Not because uh, I don't love our product, not because I don't love the things that we've built from a tech perspective. I'm very proud of that. But the one thing that really echoes in my life right now is the people that are here, the people that are working every single day to see this vision, to take this concept that once was just a, a, a idea that I had on a whiteboard in my house. That I think is what I'm most proud of and the people that drive that energy every single day and that strive to want to do more and strive to basically put all their other stuff on the side just because they believe so much in the vision of what we're building here that that's I think what I can stand out on my balcony and look at and say, I'm very proud of that aspect. I would definitely echo Ariel, but being a founder or being co-founders, husband and wife and partners, it's a journey that is so volatile. It's so tough. And what I would be the most proud of, hopefully five years from now, standing on that beautiful balcony, is the thought that like I'm so happy that we didn't give up because we came to certain points so many times, especially early on last year, where we would be extremely stressed, unable to eat and sleep and function just because there were so many challenges that we had to overcome that we didn't necessarily know how to. And we needed to make decisions like within hours, if not minutes, just to make it work. And that pressure is just so heavy for you as an individual. And sometimes you would have these thoughts coming to your head. It's just like, you thought you could do this, give up everything and go back to your corporate job. This is too tough. And having those moments and having the strength to push them away and be like, you know what? No, I'm going to push to the point where I can't anymore. And this is not that point. I can still function. I can still get up. I can still do it. That is one of the toughest thing that every single founder, every single startup owner faces. And being able to 
overcome that is truly something that every single owner, every single startup founder should be proud of. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So when we launched our product, the the first three weeks of launch, we enrolled 10 customers. So we thought we had, oh, we just, we had built a crappy product or product that no one really cared about. I had this assumption, right? If you build it, they will come, feel the dreams kind of analogy there. But the problem is that that's not true. Uh, people don't really care about your product as much as you do. They, they don't trust you, nor do they care to really try something new because it comes with potential perils, right? And so our biggest failure, I think, as a company and uh, personally was that we assumed that the customer would immediately love us and switch over once we showed them how cool our platform was. But that wasn't true. What the customer really wanted was to feel reassured. And the way that the industry was doing that is through a call center. All they wanted to do was talk to a customer. They, they, want, they wanted to talk to a person feel reassured in that way. What I truly saw as a struggle was, man, did we just build the wrong product? Did we build a product that, that the market wasn't ready for? Are we pioneering something so new that people just won't use it? And I think we had a lot of that debate. And so I think that was one of our initial mistakes in the assumptions that we made around the market. And we learned from that very quickly, but it did cost us a lot of money and a lot of time to figure out why we were failing and why things weren't working as, as originally perceived. Another struggle is, and I think every business can relate to this, is finding the right investors and finding the right backers for the business. We took on different investors early on and finding the right mix of them. We didn't want to dilute our shares and our ownership in this business that we love, but we also needed the capital. So a lot of the early mistakes that we made was assuming that we could bootstrap everything and that everything was going to be easy for us to scale and do with our own capital and that we were not going to need outside capital. And then another mistake that we made was assuming that all capital is worth the same, that you give us $100,000 or a million dollars. And if it's money, it doesn't matter. All money is green that wasn't true. And I think that's a big mistake that we made early on, assuming that all the money from these investors and we would bring into the company was going to be worth equally the same amount of weight. It took us about a year to redefine that strategy on the investment side as well and make sure that we aligned ourselves with the right proper investors that knew what we were building, understood the, the foundations of the company, but also backed, in, backed up what they were talking about, right? From not only from a capital perspective, but from finding partnerships and strategic other investors to bring on to the cap table to really help scale the business. This will be fun to ask. And and I always love to hear the passion from the founder's perspective on what the future looks like. So tell me what the future looks like for the product and for the team at HealthBird. I want to be ubiquitous in the world of health insurance. When you think health insurance, I want you to think HealthBird. The same way when you think like book shopping or online shopping, you think of Amazon. We want to be the company that everybody understands and knows for this particular solution, right? But beyond that, I want to be your all-encompassing health management. Healthcare doesn't have to suck. It doesn't have to be a horrible nightmare of a mess to, to manage. It could be pretty much as simple as going to log in into one platform and just having all of your data and all of your information at your fingertips. 
And I think that's the future of the product, right? The product itself naturally has progressed into becoming a, a tool for the consumer to utilize for their health management, for their insurance management, and for also the brokers, right? So another iteration of the product that we've now just has naturally happened is insurance brokers that are selling this product as a call center or within the same space they are looking for a technical solution that can be a lot easier for them to manage their customers, for them to give their customers additional benefit. And this is not something that naturally happens for them because they don't have the they don't have a development team. They don't have a tech team majority of the time. These are small mom and pop brokers. They're your local insurance agents and local insurance agencies that have three, four employees, all of them being usually family. And they're not able to scale their technology. They're going to find technology is going to be very expensive. And it typically won't, has to be customized and won't fit exactly their need. Where I think a natural fit of our product is also the solutions for the brokers will become an extension of our business much more faster growing than we originally ever intended or even thought it would be. Just because we've, our product is so well developed for this industry and for solving the problems that we had to solve for ourselves. But it's the same problems that a lot of the same companies deal with on a day-to-day basis. It's how do we take our tech and now help them solve their problems, not just ours. I, I always keep going back to the successful startups or the successful big companies that no longer startups, and specifically to the company called Uber. When they first launched, they had this crazy idea of, oh, you request your ride, you get into the car with a stranger and you just ride for, I don't know, five to five minutes to multiple hours with that individual. And I always keep going back to that thought, how they made the customer feel safe. So I think when I think about HealthBird, I want the same level of trust from our customers, from the first interaction or from the first moment that they hear about HealthBird, they discover something like HealthBird, that they know they can rely on us, that everything that they have going on, whenever it comes to their healthcare, their health insurance, it is going to be solved because we have not only the technology that's helping them, but we have qualified individuals sitting behind their smartphone screen and able to assist them with their questions, their problems, their wonderings, anything that they have. It would be really establishing ourselves not as the tool that can help you solve certain challenges that you have today, but that can be the tool that you can rely on. I want HealthBird to become a verb. And what I mean by that that is when you look to travel somewhere, you're like, oh, I'll just Uber there. When you look to search something on the internet, you're like, oh, I'll just go ahead and Google it. So what I think of right now, it sounds extremely weird to say, oh, I'll help her it. But hopefully <laughs> in the future, that does become something that people will just be using. So I, I want to hear from you both around influences. So who influences the way that you work? You name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. Ariel and I had to take a road trip to visit and spend time with our families. And we decided, we found on Spotify, oh, there is this book, like everyone were talking about it. It was released so many years ago, like how come we never listen? And it's about someone that I admire personally, that I worked for in the past. We started listening to the book and 
all the crazy ideas, all the innovations that he was bringing to the table and something that no one would ever take seriously. That individual is, of course, Elon Musk. <laughs> when he had the idea, I'm just going to build the next spaceship. I'm just going to build the next electric vehicle company. I think he is definitely an inspiration to a lot of people, not only by the ideas, but also by the way he works, by the commitment that he has, that no matter what happens out there, I have a mission. I have this one thing that I'm focusing on within the next uh, one hour, and that's it. No one will ever distract me from it. So I think Ariel and I both were on some level inspired by the book, so much so that we had to call in a three-hour meeting with our executive team and make some changes within the structure of the company and the meeting types and the agendas and how are we going to be more efficient and much faster. I love Elon and I love his ability to take a non-standard business and make it known for SpaceX or Tesla, known for basically pioneering or revolutionizing an entire industry. But I actually, I've read a lot over my lifetime. And and one of the things that really inspired me was actually, believe it or not, Bernard Arnault from LVMH. How a guy that really ultimately didn't even belong in the luxury goods market took um, a company that was flailing and, and dying from nothing to the most well-known luxury goods products in the entirety of the world. I loved his approach and some of the things he said early on when he was building LVMH and the companies that became LVMH. He was always with the approach of, I don't want to destroy something. I want to figure out how we can make it all together work better. He didn't want to destroy the brands. He didn't want to destroy the houses that, that he you know, was acquiring and, or helping structure. He wanted to figure out how he can take that and just elevate it to the next level. And I think that's what we, that's, that's what our approach has been from day one with health insurance is we're not trying to dismantle the system that already exists. We're trying to elevate the current system to become that much better within the infrastructure that already exists. We're not trying to reinvent the entirety of the wheel. We're just trying to add spokes to the wheel. The difference in personalities there, I think, between Elon and Arnold and all the other people that have influenced us over our time, just give us, from a business perspective, a lot of different areas of where they failed and they succeeded that we can then take from that. From my own personal experience, I'm also very inspired by my family. My my parents are immigrants and they came to this country with nothing, no food, no nothing to their name. And they gave me everything that I have and they tried their best to work five jobs at the same time between my father and my mother to make the best of a really tough situation. I had to grow up with my grandmother because my mother and father were always working, so I never really got to see them very often. I think I'm most inspired by them, just the factor that they didn't care about themselves. They cared about what future can we give to our children to make them much more successful than we will ever be. And I think that is an inspiration that always lives with me and always grounds me and makes me think like I should work harder and I should work faster because this is an opportunity that not many people in this world ever get. Last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Never lose the trust and never lose the excitement that you have. 
you're building a company and you're not doing this on your own. You have people around you and they will be always looking up to you. If you're going through challenging times, you can share with them. However, do not lose the trust in your product because that's what energizes companies. For us, I think that's just the driving force for both of us. Whenever I feel down and Ariel lifts me up, whenever he, he's feeling down, we have this pep type of conversation on the ride home. So believing in what you do and really always going back to why did you start the company? Why do you think it's important? And reassuring yourself that you're not crazy, that you're doing something that matters. You're doing something that you should enjoy the journey, whether it's a hard time, it's a good time. It's all about the journey. You will just blink and it will be 10 years when you started uh, the company. 10 years ago, you built the company and you've done so much. Just enjoying the challenges, enjoying the moments, enjoying the conversations, enjoying the, the day-to-day. It's very important being present in the moment. From a business perspective, my answer will always be is like challenge yourself to think like your worst critic. If you were the customer that really hated your product, why would you hate it? If you were looking at it from the perspective of a customer that would give you a one-star review, why would that customer give you a one-star review? What is lacking? What's missing? What's the feature you think you got right, but reality doesn't work as well as you envisioned? Really be critical about your product. Believe in your product. Like Irina said, don't throw the baby with the bathwater, but be hypercritical about your own product. Because if you're your your own worst critic in that way, then you're able to then be able to build and find the bugs and the opportunities for expansion within the product that you never thought would be existing there. Don't believe the hype, right? The hype does die down eventually. So I think also that would be the other thing. Even if you build the next big thing, don't let it go to your head. Focus and focus on the team, building the right people, bringing the right management and and building the right uh, product development and and the right product scoping for the next iteration. Don't let the existing success just be the only thing you do. A lot of companies fail in that way where they hit gold really quickly and they think they have a winning product and then they don't iterate or they don't really change or adapt and the product becomes stale and unuseful, especially in this ever-evolving world with AI and everything like that. You can't really just live with the current stuff you've built. You got to, even if it's working and you're getting tons and tons of money and everything's working out in that way, you're still just a few weeks away from failure. If a company comes in and does something better than you, you got to really build something that is defensible, that is structured around the future of that industry and that product and continuously iterating upon how to improve it. Fantastic advice. Both sets of fantastic advice. Well, Ariel, Arena, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of HealthBird. Thank Thank you you so much, much. Noah. Our pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.